Hey, Fungo Banter fans. Welcome back to another episode of your Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter podcast. I am Eric Sorensen, your host here in Ellensburg, Washington at Big Country Studios, as always. Ready to bring on Kelly Gow and Jason Jarrett here in just a minute. And also bringing on our guest this week, Coach Eddie Smith, the hitting coach at LSU down there in Louisiana. And Coach Smith has a great career, great guy from the Northwest, grew up in Olympia, Washington. Uh, had his playing days at Centralia Community College, finished up at Notre Dame, and a, a very impressive resume of coaching careers. Assistant coach at Virginia, Santa Clara, Notre Dame, head coach at Lower Columbia, where he continued on that tra- winning tradition down there and was named the ABCA National Coach of the Year in 2015. He then he moved on to being the hitting coach and recruiting coordinator at Tulane and is currently in his first season at LSU as the hitting coach. Guys, another great episode to sit back, get yourself some popcorn, something to drink, and just enjoy a little baseball talk during this little pause in baseball we have right now. So without further ado, let's bring on Coach. Well, Fungo Banter fans, we're back. Very excited to be joined this week by hitting coach at LSU, Eddie Smith. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you all. Excited to be here. So before we, you know, the first hard-hitting question, what's your favorite Fungo? Favorite Fungo, you know, uh, I think there's two answers to that for me. Um, one is down here, we swing the, the Marucci aluminum fungo. Um, I think Coach Veneri is a, a master at this, and uh, he wants to simulate the game as, as close as possible. And you do that right down to the fungos being aluminum, and uh, Marucci just makes a, a great fungo for that. That's awesome. Uh, so after that, talk about your start in the coaching, and you know, it's a it's a profession that you're always learning and trying to get better every day. So, and talk about some of the biggest lessons you've learned after being at it for a few different schools now. Yeah, I think uh, as far as the start, I'll tell you, my dad was a high school coach, um, an athletic director. And so as a kid, literally from uh, the time that I can remember, it was begging to go to practice uh, in the basketball gym for him. And uh, just being around sports in general, and uh, I think I always saw sports through the lens of a coach. So I don't know if there's a true line of when it actually started. But uh, my first actual coaching job was when I was 20 years old. My high school coach's son was um, had just graduated high school and was playing on a travel team at the time, and so he asked me to take over the Legion team for the summer. And uh, you know, quite frankly. Uh, I can't believe that he put that in my hands uh, because I was 20 and a lot of the players were, you know, 18, 17, some of them were 16, but guys who I had grown up with, played with, and, uh, you know, for them to be uh, in in the hands of me at that point, uh, that was uh, probably a, an adventure, but uh, I think that was a fun experience. It was getting my feet wet um, at a level where, you know, it was uh, – it was really, really exciting. And, um, you know, I think from there, I just had a really fortunate career to be able to coach at a lot of levels, a lot of different parts of the country. I think that um, the biggest lessons I've taken, uh, one is always be there, you know, for the love of the game and the love of your team, first and foremost. Um, I think when you get distracted by the um, you know, maybe ulterior motives of, big contracts, uh, personal recognition, um, you know, sponsorships, whatever it might be, that's when you, you really run into uh, 
a rabbit hole that uh, isn't going to be productive for you. But I think that, uh, you know, when you do it for the players and you do it for the game, um, that, that's, that, that's where you are going to find your success. Absolutely. Well, uh, I know we're, we're watching uh, the viewers are going to listen. They're not seeing, but we're seeing a, an awesome video of you right now on zoom and the, and the tiger behind you. And, and I know we're going to get into your Northwest connections and, and what you miss about home. But first I've heard from Kelly about game days at LSU. How cool is it being down there right now and, and being a part of a program like that? It, it, it's indescribable I think, for, for most people, unless you've been a part of it or been to a game here. Um, see 12,000 uh, fans at our games for 25 straight seasons. We've led the NCAA in attendance. We actually had uh, tickets sold in every college basketball program in the country, every Pac-12 football program, and all but 20 other football programs in the country as far as tickets sold. To give you an idea of how many fans just come to our games, obviously that's aided by the fact that we have 35 to 38 home games here. But uh, – you have a full crowd uh, at a lot of games. They bring an energy that's unmatched. And, you know, the thing that goes under the radar a little bit is that if we have a 7 o'clock game, our crowd's there by 2 or 3 o'clock, uh, making sure that they have uh, a full experience and enjoying themselves in the parking lot with the grills out and the crawfish and the steaks and the beers. And so I don't know um, how many other places there are in college baseball that even come close to that, but there's nobody who matches it. No doubt about that. Gosh, that's something I feel like I need to get down there to see that someday. Yeah. Oh, I, I would encourage any baseball fan to come take it in because uh, it, it's one of a kind. Absolutely. So you know, we are Northwest uh, Fungo Banter. So talk about some of the connections from the Northwest uh, that helped you get to where you are today. And, you know, I know it's awesome down there, but what are some of the things you miss about coaching and being up here in the Northwest? Oh, well, the Northwest is always going to be home, and uh, I miss everything about it up there. I mean, uh, first and foremost, my family. That's that's where I'm from. It's also where all my family is. And so, um, you know, throughout my coaching career, I've been so fortunate to be all over the country, and uh, that's been awesome. And uh, But everywhere along the way, there's that, uh, that family piece that uh, always has my heart back uh, in the Northwest. Um, you know, I think I'd also say that the baseball in the Northwest, I think there's something special about it. I think that as coaches in the Northwest, as programs in the Northwest, as players that came up playing in the Northwest, we have to be a little bit more creative. We have that unique climate where we might get a three-week stretch in January where it's playable, but we also might get a three-week stretch in April where you can only get out on the field two or three times, and you have to get really creative about getting inside a gym or cages and playing wiffle ball inside, whatever it might be to keep your love for the game because of that climate being so unique. Um, there's parts of the country where, you know, you're snowed out and you just sort of tally that up for never having a chance to get outside. And I think that's what's so different about the Northwest is the number of days where it's impossible to get outside temperature or snow wise. There's not many of those days. It's just, Hey, when's the rain going to break? When's the shower going to turn to sprinkle so that you can get out there and run around a little bit. And so I think because of that, um, as players, we have a true passion for the game. We know how to pull a tarp. And I think along with that tarp pulling becomes if you don't really love the game, you probably don't stay involved in it that much longer. Um, I think that, uh, you know, as coaches, um, you know, when you're from the Northwest, you just have to be a little bit more innovative. I mean, I just remember 
um, taking ground balls in parking lots with the old yellow dimple balls 20 times over. And um, it's just a reality of, of weeks that we have to do sometimes in the Northwest. And when you do that, you have to do that. I think what you're seeing right now is pretty neat to see. If you look at the stage on a national level in coaching um, college and how it's pretty neat, professional baseball, including the major leagues, there's an incredible amount of people from the Northwest involved in, uh, in, in the coaching at, at those places. And um, I think that's just a testament to everything that we have to do in the Northwest to be able to find some success and how creative we have to be. You think that creativity might have influence on you as a coach? Do you feel like you're more prepared now to be able to think of things and maybe in a different lens on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I think that's uh, really a key to, to coaching. I, I think you got to have your foundation. You got to have your core. You got to have things that you do day in and day out that you, you know, philosophically or drill-wise, you don't, you don't waver from. But the reality is, is that there's another component to coaching and that's being dynamic because you never know what's going to be thrown at you. And, um, you know, whether that's a, a player that you have to find a way to connect with in a different way than you've ever done before, or, um, you know, maybe some facility challenges or whatever it might be. Um, we've, we've done that in the Northwest in more ways than we want to care to explain. Uh, you know, I think that it goes hand in hand and not only that creativity for finding, you know, a way to, uh, you know, do a new drill in the cages because the cages are all you have because of the weather. But I think that mindset of being creative and thinking outside the box spawns and really gets into every part of your, your, your program when you do that. We'll transition a little bit. Let's talk about kind of not necessarily where you've been and gone, but, but I've been a little bit removed now from being a head coach and, and back in the assistant realm of things. And maybe talk a little bit about, how you like that transition, maybe what you missed from a head coach standpoint and uh, how that's going for you there. Yeah, the transition has been awesome. I have uh, a chance here at LSU to work with uh, Coach Maneri, who was my college baseball coach at Notre Dame, which, uh, you know, working with him um, on a day-to-day -day basis, you see a lot of things that you didn't see as a player um, that go on and decisions that have to be made. Um, that it's just been uh, awesome. And, you know, he's truly one of the best. I think he's second all time right now in active coaches and wins. I think he's one of seven active coaches with the national championship under his belt. And I can go on and on about his accomplishments, but, um, you know, his wisdom and his experience of 38 plus years now of coaching that he has, uh, I draw from it every single day. And so that's been pretty awesome. And I've already spoken to the, beauty of LSU and, and being at a place like this, you can find those two things and I, I don't know that you could ask for a whole lot more. Um, you know, I think uh, certainly I, I loved being a head coach when I was at Lower Columbia. I think that my mind works in the way of, uh, you know, maybe a management role, uh, maybe being able to see the big picture as a strength of mine. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love the challenge of every day getting a group of guys together creating a vision, and then um, on a daily basis, setting a plan to go achieve that vision, that dream. And uh, I think as a head coach, you get to do that at a macro level. You know, as a hitting coach, you get to do that at a micro level every day with a group of, of half the team. And so I, I certainly try to, you know, employ those skills every day where, hey, you know, 
I'm not the head coach, but when it comes to these hitters, I, I'm going to treat it as if I'm the head coach of this group and have a plan and have the vision and, and set forth a daily plan to go reach that vision. So uh, certainly a combination of the two. Eddie, uh, you had a great run there at Lower Columbia, and uh, you did an outstanding job as a head coach there. Talk a little bit about the success that you occurred before your time and then what's taking place after. Yeah, well, I think when you think of Lower Columbia, you, you know the tradition that that place has had. Uh, with mm -hmm. the Northwest, you can look at 60 years of tradition. Um, I think that when you look at the – when I think back to the four years I spent there um, – there was adversity in year one in particular. Um, the year before I got there was the first time that the team hadn't been to the NWAC tournament in 26 years. Um, it had been four years since they won the region, which hadn't happened since the Kennedy administration. And uh, we, we were fighting some uphill battles, man. Uh, people were using that against us in recruiting. And uh, year one was a, a challenge to say the least, but uh, you know, I think I give a lot of credit to Grady Twait, um, Eric Blaine. Those guys were on our staff at the time. And we put our nose down and were creative and said, we're going to set a foundation and we're going to stick with this foundation. And people who want to be a part of it um, can be a part of it. And uh, we stuck with that. And year two, we had a really special group. We accomplished some really special things. Uh, won the NWAC championship that year. It was awesome. I look back at that team. Um, you know, one stat I think was cool on that team is we led the NWAC in runs scored per game, and we also led the NWAC in runs allowed per game. And when you do that, you're going to have a chance to put yourself in a really good position to win a lot of games. And so um, that team was special to me, though, because those players – we had put them through a lot, particularly the guys that were there in the first year. And when I say that, we just pushed them, pushed them and pushed them and challenged, you know, their, their limits of uh, how good do you want to be? How much do you want this championship? And the, the players who stuck with us in the program, the players that we added on uh, really came together almost uh, as hey, we're all survivors of this. And as coaches a little bit, we felt we were in there with the players by the time all was said and done is, we endured this 2014 year together. We're going to reap the benefits of this 2015 season, what we went through. Um, and the benefits were awesome. You know, championships were great, but the relationships that you, you forge when you win that championship throughout the journey and then the memories after when you can reflect on it, that's what's even better. Um, you know, and then we were able to do that again in 2017. That group was entirely different. That was a bunch of really, really uh, – nice kids who found a way to be tough and really, really trusted each other. And uh, I was always a little concerned if we were going to have that killer instinct, um, but that group just proved that they had it uh, in a little bit different way. The 2015 team might have been a little bit more of your uh, rough and ready group that we had to reel the, the group in, tie the ring down a little bit and say, hey, don't do that. And, the 17th group, we had to say, okay, come on, come on. It's okay to go want to be somebody when you get between the lines, you know, and uh, in, in, in two unique situations, but uh, both teams really, uh, you know, went through their own uh, trials and tribulations to get to that point of being champions. And it was awesome. And then 
uh, I mean, I don't know how to put into words what, uh, what Eric Lane has been able to do for the last two years. You know, I think it's remarkable. Um, his first year, he had the interim tag on him the entire year, won the NWAC championship, but maybe more impressively was able to keep a roster and a recruiting class together with an interim tag on him to be able to win the NWAC championship again next year. Um, and with all signs pointing toward them being probably the by far the most dominant team in the NWAC this year. So um, it, it's really exciting to see that. You know, Eric is uh, as good as it gets, and uh, I was fortunate to be able to spend a lot of time with him and um, still stay in touch with him quite a bit. So what he's building there, taking it to a new level, it's just awesome to see. You know, you talk about the the two different types of the teams you coach, and they both had two different um, – characteristics to each team and it, it's funny you talk about that because like our high school teams you know from year to year it's kind of what you got what what do you think was some of your your that the work the best for you to, to you know the second year team that maybe didn't have that fight or whatnot but they found they found it what was some of the most successful things and tools that you got out of that team you know that group um they were just a bunch of really nice guys, really good kids. We made it a point in the recruiting to recruit character and recruit players who kind of um, fit our pillars that we had for our program. And uh, these guys definitely did that. And so we really made it a point to try to develop that toughness, that killer instinct as coaches with all of our training. Um, it wasn't easy. But I think we had very mature players who understood that, hey, if I sacrifice for the team, I will be rewarded individually. And these teammates of mine will become, you know, uh, brothers and lifelong friends. Um, we had guys who, uh, when we were challenging them, you know, mentally and physically to be the best that they could be, we had guys where if you could explain to them the why this was important that we went through this challenge over and over again, they would respond to that because they could process, okay, if I do X, then I can get Y, you know, and this is all just part of it. Whereas the, the first team I explained, they were a little bit more of, you just had to tell them what to do and keep them kind of close to in line. And they had their own little killer instinct and a uh, little bit of a uh, backyard guard dog about their personality, but it was more of real and back in than it was, uh, sitting there and trying to show them how important these sorts of things were. Does that, does that hold true for pushing boxes around as well? Oh, absolutely. The boxes have been a staple at Lower Columbia for, um, shoot, now it would be 30 years. And for you know people listening who don't know what the boxes are, they were sleds before sleds were cool. They are plywood <laughs> box that have um, carpet on both sides of them. There's four different sizes of them and you push them on the gym floor along the carpet uh, so that you don't scuff up the gym floor. And uh, it's been a staple at Lower Columbia long before I was there and probably long after I left. Uh, it'll be a staple. Um, they're beautiful. You can push them. You can push a partner on them. You can do jumps on top of them. You can do push-ups on them. You can do just about anything you, you want to do on them. And, uh, you know, it's a great way to create a lot of plyometric uh, agility, uh, you know, functional strength and, and workout for a baseball player. Absolutely. Well, we're going to jump into our banter topic. I think we want to have a cool name for this someday. So if you think of one, let us know. Uh, we still okay. haven't had that meeting yet. Uh, 
But let's dive into the hitting. Uh, you know, when a first-year guy coming into your program, what are some of the things you want that particular freshman uh, to focus on? Hitting, coaching, and I would say pitching coaching is probably similar, although I don't have a whole lot of experience with that. Um, I, I think it's so important to have a foundation and say, hey, here's a couple of pillars of things that are absolute, and we do, but also have the mindset of every individual is an individual. And so uh, as far as the pillars go of, of, hey, here's something that we all want to do, I think there's three big ones. Um, one is mechanically, we want to be sound. I think it starts with getting to, I call it the power position. There's a lot of different names for it. Power is probably the most common, but it's when you have your hands loaded and you have your foot down and you're about ready to start your turn. Um, I think that your hands should be somewhere uh, around your ear and at about the distance away from your center, your core, that allows you the best exert force going forward and um, I think the bat should be at about a 45 degree angle both up and down and at the corner of your head essentially a good test for that is if the knob of your bat is pointing at the catcher that's a good position and then your body should be balanced um, where your feet are about shoulder width apart in about the same position you would want to be if you're going to throw a med ball as hard as and far as you can towards where the pitcher would be so I think getting to that position mechanically is huge. I think that uh, from there, it's a matter of getting the bat to the ball as efficiently as possible and having your body work all together um, at the same time. And that's a very big simplification of the swing, but I think it's important to work in simple terms too as a coach. Um, so that's the mechanical side. I think the mental side um, is probably equally or not more important. Talk about it all the time. 10 for 10 thoughts. If you're 10 for your last 10, your thoughts in your mind are a lot different than if you're 0 for your last 10. And you can think about what those different thoughts would be for you right now. But if you're 10 for your last 10, um, you know, those thoughts you have in your mind about hitting are great. You think you're great. You want the ball, you want the bat in your hands when, when the ball game is on the line. And we want our guys feeling that confidence in themselves every time they go up to the plate. So we try to create that for them. Um, and then I think that, uh, you know, the, the last thing I would say is what we try to train a lot and what we try to make an emphasis on is swing decision. What am I swinging at? You know, if we can swing at pitches that are in the strike zone, that's going to make you a lot better hitter uh, than if you swing at pitches that are not in the strike zone and how can we prepare you for that? As far as swing decisions go, I, I know it's one of the hardest things to train, you know, to, whether it's a machine or a coach throwing, it's hard to get that accurate 60 foot, six inches, um, arm slots, arm angles, the timing, the tempo of it. So what are maybe some specific drills you do to make things as game-like as possible? Well, I think if you sent a doctor down to Longview, Washington, you would probably be able to run an MRI on Eric Lane and Ian Sanderson. And then if you send that same doctor out, here to run an MRI on me, we'd probably all need Tommy John three times over because a lot of our practice in, in our BPs, um, it was never just your traditional BP, feel good about yourself. We would have rounds of that every once in a while, but for the most part, it was as 
pitchers, we were trying to make you make a swing decision. And we were throwing breaking balls and snapping off sliders, particularly when we were practicing two-strike approach, um, and trying literally with the intent to try to get the hitter to swing and miss with the two-strike approach. I think the more you can do that, the better off you'll be. Now, there's a point where you can only do that so much because we're humans and you can't throw um, all day, every day that way. I think there's machines out there that are – that are better than they've ever been before at this. I think that um, the more that you can simulate a game like at bat, the better it is. And uh, I, I think that tees and flips are great warm-ups. I think they can be helpful to a certain extent with mechanics, but I, mean, I, th- I also think that you can practice mechanics all you want off a tee and, a mach- uh, and off of flips. And, uh, you know, all this, to me, that's like hitting a punching bag. All of a sudden, you get in the ring against Mike Tyson, and it's going to be a little bit different your mechanics are going to change real quick if you've never trained against something similar to Mike Tyson so um, I think put yourself in that position where you're getting challenged coach we not only have other coaches in the northwest listening to our podcast but we also got some of those players out there that are listening to us coaches discuss these things and what could you tell a young hitter uh, that's trying to work on developing his game to be successful at the college level what what areas does could he do to, to help you know um, better equipped himself as a hitter. Uh, I'm a huge believer that reps and reps and reps are, are huge. Uh, find a buddy, find a batting cage, and go and hit and hit and hit. Throw to each other. Throw to each other. If it's not perfect BP, that's even better. You know, you talk about vision. Um, you know, kind of piggybacks on that same question you just asked. If you have to take half of the pitches that are thrown at you because your buddy is quote unquote not a good BP thrower. You're working on your swing decision. There's merit in that. Reps, reps, reps. I think, uh, you know, what I tell everybody who asks me whose kid is anywhere from, you know, just walking and picking up a bat for the first time to probably 16 and even some 18-year-olds, our incoming recruits, is figure out how to hit the ball as hard as you can right off the top of the pitcher's hat and do that as often as you can. And uh, I, I would say that that's going to be the most important thing that you can do as a hitter to figure out your swing mechanics. I think that if you focus solely on your mechanics as the, uh, as the pathway to success, then you're going to actually do negative effects on your, on your ability and you're going to slow yourself down. Um, that being said, there's some mechanical things that, that are important for sure, and they can be a tool to help you get to where you want to be, but uh, you got to be really careful about that balance there. And then the last thing I would say is um, bat speed is a huge thing. If you want to play college baseball, it's much like velocity of a pitcher, and now it's able to uh, be measured more than ever before. you got to have bat speed. you got to have a baseline bat speed that you have about you that allows you to hit balls hard. And uh, – it's much like a pitcher having baseline velocity. And what I would say with that is there's more technology out there than ever um, that, that has helped us understand how to lift, how to train the body with functional mu- movements, with weight trained movements, with weighted bats, underloaded bats. Get on the website or get on the internet, do a Google search, uh, start doing your own research on that. Reach out to me. I'd be happy to do any. Uh, any correspondence with you that I can to help you because there's a lot of great information out there on that. And I could have a whole podcast about ideas on that. So how do you guys format your, 
I guess you could talk both in, in the winter and then like maybe even during season, but how do you format your BP, you know, maybe your rounds or your cage work? For sure. A uh, couple things on that, I would say, is that we always have uh, multiple groups. One group is doing defense. One group is base running. One group is doing the batting cages. That's where they are. And then the other group is on the field hitting. And so I always try to make the point to the players um, that, yeah, it's called batting practice because we don't want to sit here and act like we're reinventing the wheel and call it something different. But, you know, yes, you're working on your batting, but everything that you're doing is something to develop. And ultimately, there's a lot of days where, especially in the season, you don't have anything other than just BP as your practice. That's that's all you do because you got to be light on the body. So you got to take that 40 to 50 minutes and uh, really work on honing your skills in during that time. Um, from the hitting standpoint in the cages, we'll have different things going on every day in those cages. Um, again, most of what we do in there, it's not drill oriented in the sense of, um, you know, trying to really simplify the swing. It's trying to create, it's more environment oriented. Hey, we're facing a right-handed slider guy today. We're going to have a machine in one cage going with a right-handed slider. We'll probably have another machine that's throwing a mix of fastballs and sliders and the guys might get four pitches in each cage or something like that. Um, on the field, we almost always go four rounds. We'll mix that up a little bit, but uh, we'll almost always have a, one of those rounds be a two-strike round where it's the pitcher's, the BP pitcher's instruction to try to strike the guy out. And the hitter treats every pitch as if he has two strikes on. And it's four pitches, so if you take a pitch that's a sure ball – Okay, not a tweener pitch that the umpire might call strike, but a sure ball, that's winning that pitch. And then you've got to win the next pitch. That might be a barrel. That might mean fouling off that tweener pitch that the umpire might call a strike, whatever it might be. But that would be what a two-strike uh, two round would be like. Uh, we have what we call them attack rounds. Any count, there's less than two strikes. And execution rounds where we'll put a situation in those execution rounds where it might be two hit and runs and then two infield in or whatever it might be on a given day. There's a lot of flexibility with that, but um, we do like to keep it at four swings or even four pitches for that, uh, that two strike round. We really try to promote the quality take in that round. So um, we'll go four swings or four pitches. And my, my feeling on the number four is because I think BP is the time to find the groove of your swing. So, one, it's not realistic to only take one swing, which is very game-like. You know, you think about a game at bat, you're usually getting one swing, maybe two or three if you have some foul balls in there. But we want to be as game-like as possible. So, um, you know, one or two swings would probably be ideal in that school of thought. But at the same time, it is preparation. It's preparing to perform. And so by taking four swings, I feel like, hey, you have a bad swing on the first one. You can feel it out a little bit try to get your swing in the groove a little bit. You can mentally get that feel of overcoming adversity. Hey, I struggled in my first one or my first two. I can still finish strong. Um, but I think once you start talking about more than four, you start hitting on a rhythm, which obviously in a game, you never get that luxury of hitting on a rhythm. That's not realistic. And you start uh, maybe taking tired swings to a certain extent. If you start talking about five, six, seven, eight, nine swings in a round. So um, that's something I'm kind of big on. Um, it doesn't mean there's times where we don't, hey, take one more. That happens. You know, there, I don't think there's a whole lot of absolutes in coaching. But, um, you know, for, for a rule of thumb, we do keep our rounds at four swings. 
You know, it's funny because, like, I had I finally got through to my guys before the shutdown was. It's okay to to take like four or five four four or five hacks if it feels good. And they looked at me yeah, like, "Is I'm, this a test, coach?" I'm like, "No, I'm being serious. Like, you can get out and you can come back in." Yeah. And, right. Yeah. Right. And you know, it, it's funny because um, you know this year that was a habit that we kind of had to try in particular be piece structured. But when we're talking about like time in the cages, sometimes it's this hit to your happy type mindset, which is okay to a certain extent. But the, the reality is if everybody just takes the four swings, maybe a fifth swing here and there, then you're going to get right back up very soon thereafter if there's three or four guys hitting rather than a 10-minute rest. It's a three-minute rest period for you. So you're going to get the same amount of swings. It's just how do you get them? Talk a little about swing decisions, Coach. Uh, I know it's one of the harder things to kind of track and, and, and keep uh... – keep under you but but how do you kind of monitor that whether that's in a um in a off-season standpoint maybe a false scrimmage standpoint is there just is there certain things you're charting is it by eye and how are you giving that feedback to those players on that um by eye during value practice one thing i'll tell you is that uh there's been a lot of times in my career where i've been uh, the prison warden on this topic. And if you swing at a pitch that is not your pitch, um, even a borderline pitch, maybe it was a strike, but you put a bad swing on it and it probably wasn't a great pitch to hit. Uh, and it's an attack round, meaning less than two strikes on you, your round's over. And I found taking the round away from a player to be one of the best ways to make a player focus so that, you know, we don't want our round to be over. We want to get our swings in. Um, Another thing I've done a lot in the past is tracking, call it plus minus, and that is walks uh, divided by strikeouts. It's a pretty walks to strikeout ratio. It's a pretty easy metric there. But, um, you know, I think great hitters have a walks to strikeout ratio that's close to one in college baseball. I could send you all sorts of numbers on this if you, if you reach out to me about it and want to look into this more. But, uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily, hey, if a guy strikes out a lot, um, you know, it's not necessarily a strikeout guy. It might just be a guy that goes deep into counts if he's still walking at a one-to-one rate. It's not strictly a strikeout thing that shows chasing. You know, to me, it's the guy who strikes out four times more than he walks. That's a major red flag. Even twice as much as he walked, we need to get better. So that's uh, th- those are the big metrics. And then we're really fortunate here at LSU. We do have a uh, track man. So that was, uh, that was Pandora's box for me where, um, you know, we literally could go in and we charted, Hey, with less than two strikes, every time our player swung, was it a strike or was it not a strike according to the track man strike zone? And we just came up with the pure percentage of was it a strike versus total swings and uh, came up with that number. So, that's, uh, that's some of the stuff I've done. Um, I, if there's any other ideas people have out there, I'd love to hear it. I know that, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of teams in professional baseball that go uh, very in-depth on that topic. I know they have, um, hey, if it was a fastball first strike, and um, you get like a plus two if you swing at it, and a minus one if you don't, there's something along those lines, just as one example. So. Well, do you so you obviously are using TrackMan, but do you guys spend much time with video and, and uh, I guess in the other part of that is what's the most important thing when working with it if you guys do? 
Yeah, great question with the video. Obviously, we're in a time in the world where video is more uh, available for us than ever before, and it's just going to exponentially grow for us and its availability. And I think it can be a really good tool. Um, and I think it needs to stay just that as a tool. Um, much like mechanics, it's a tool, but it's not the path to your success. And uh, I, I'm always very explicit about, about that with our players. I'm always wary of a player who continually wants to watch a video because if you're searching for answers there, I think you might be leaving out the answers that come from right here between your ears. And, uh, you know, I think as a player, you can use that tool to, to help yourself and say that uh, I go back and watch every game after we play in our video system. It's incredible. We have it chopped up. So it's just every two seconds or so there's another pitch and it's incredibly efficient to be able to watch. But um, what I look for on that are swing decision. Hey, what was, what were our guys, where was that pitch? You know, in the game, when you're in the dugout or the coaching box, you can't see exactly where that pitch was. Hey, why did that guy take that? Oh, well that pitch was called a strike and I was mad about it in the dugout, but it was actually four inches off the plate. I'm not going to get that mad about it in the one Oh count. He shouldn't swing at that, you know, or, he said that pitch was out and it's painting the black. The pitcher made a pitcher's pitch with two strikes. That's the one we practice hitting or at least fouling off every single day. We got to foul that one off. What are you complaining about? And so those are probably the biggest things I look for. Um, we also have the benefit of, of side angle cameras where um, you can see some mechanical things. And if a guy starts to, to really struggle or I see something in game that I'm kind of curious about. That's when I'll use those cameras, but uh, um, I, I see those as more of a need to go to the doctor type of a camera. Whereas I see the center field camera and watching it like it's a, the Mariners game on TV as the angle that I like to see just the daily, uh, the daily, you know, healthcare of, Hey, what are our guys swinging at? How's everything look? How's the direction in their swing? I like that angle because talk a lot about direction in our swing for our guys. We want to have our turn going forward. Well, that camera will show if you're pulling off of the ball very, very well. So, Coach, we uh, tried doing this a little bit with our, our hitters this year, taking the time right before we got with our practice and did some meditation, visualization um, with our with our guys. And we saw a lot of success, um, especially on days where we you had hitting days. Um, what kind of things, tools do you use with your guys there on visualization, meditation, uh, seeing the pitch, knowing the release point, those those kind of things? Uh, I think that's awesome that you guys are doing that. I think it puts you way ahead of the curve. I think it's everything. Um, it kind of goes back to the last question a little bit. We're in an age where video is more available than ever before. Mm -hmm. um, two years ago, uh, a, Software called Synergy really hit the scene in baseball. It's been around in basketball forever, but now it's on the baseball scene. So uh, I share that because we're able to get video on our opposing pitchers um, you know, more than ever before. And so we'd like to have that available for our guys. We'll play it um, before the game on the opposing starter. Uh, I think that's very helpful for our guys to to create that visual of we can tell them what it like all I want, but now they get to see, we don't even have to use words. I think that, you know, if a picture's worth a thousand words, uh, a video's worth maybe a million. And uh, it's, uh, it's, I think, something that can really put us, um, you know, at an advantage by being able to use that. 
And then, you know, I think there's another thing that's just good old fashioned, you know, awareness is, Hey, every game that you play 10 or 15 minutes before the game, the opposing pitcher is going to go warm up down in the bullpen. Use that 10 or 15 minutes as a hitter to get yourself out in front of the dugout. Um, if you're able to have this space, clear out some space, grab a bat and get yourself timed up and take swings as if you're facing that pitcher. And I think that timing that you can gain, um, the hand-eye coordination piece of it and everything else that you gain out of that, you can't replicate that with any other drill or hitting coach or um, you know video that you watch out there. That's the best there is. And even a relief pitcher is going to show you eight pitches when he comes out of the pen every single time. Use that time wisely as an alert player. It doesn't cost you any money. Okay, You can go pay people hundreds of dollars to go get all this hitting information and get lessons and everything else. But paying attention is free, and it always will be, and you'll have information right before your eyes if you want to use it. So you get that information, Coach, and, and talk about approach a little bit. We've dabbled a little bit into it so far, but I don't want to tip your hand to the rest of the SEC, but um, talk a little bit about approach for you guys. Um, you know, is it making educated guesses? Is it a clear – plan every single time that you're up is it change with the two strike count uh with velocity with score with count kind of how you guys navigate that realm yeah i think uh it's similar to my first question you'd asked me about you know principles and hitting um i think approach is a big principle in hitting and i think it's individual for every hitter um but with that being said, I think there are some foundations, you know, with less than two strikes, we want to make sure we're swinging at a strike. We want to make sure we're aggressive and intentful. <clears throat> uh, we want to have thoughts of hitting a line drive right up the middle, right over the pitcher's head. I feel like if you're having those thoughts, um, if you're a little bit early, okay, you pull that ball right over the shortstop's head. If you're a little bit late, you hit that ball right over the second baseman's head if you're a right-handed hitter. If you're a little bit under it, it's probably the ball that you drive into the gaps off or over the wall. If you're a little bit on top, it's that one hopper that no infielder in the world in the history of the game wants to feel. And so we feel like that's a, a good approach to have there. Um, you know, with two strikes, we, we definitely want to make some changes and we want to expand our zone. I think we talk about a lot of, you know, it's uh, it's something where we want to keep it in our hands as a hitter. We don't want to let anybody else make a decision that's going to impact our bat as a hitter in that situation. So we've got to expand the strike zone and what we swing at with two strikes. And then um, ultimately we try to make it, you know, a, a battle of survival, that mindset of, okay, it's me as a hitter against this pitcher that's 60 feet, six inches away. One of our families is going to eat and one of our families is going to starve. I want to make sure I feed my family. So um, that's uh, that's kind of the mindset and the, you know, the, the pictures we try to paint in the hitter's mind of how important this is and, and that survival instinct of, uh, of battle and there were two strikes. Yeah, see, I think the, the one thing that we find with our guys, it's tough to navigate is you have that eight eight hole hitter left fielder and there's nothing against that spot. Don't get me wrong, but um the guy sees the path to and maybe you see this even more permanently of, of guys looking for the draft looking to get drafted i know that i might have a better chance by by being a a, a driver and run guys a double homer type guy or that guy's role might be you know more getting on base so how do you kind of manage that end to 
you know, I want to lift the ball. I want to do the things that I see on TV with Twitter, with, with MLB yeah. and, and navigating those realms. I think it's so important to know who you are as a hitter uh, and be able to be honest with yourself as a hitter and be able to identify what allows you to have the most success you can have as a hitter. And what I would say to that is if you have dreams of playing in the major leagues and getting drafted and playing professional baseball, you have to be successful where you are. Because if you're not successful where you are, if that's high school, you're not going to have a chance to play in college because nobody's going to recruit. If you're in college and you aren't successful where you are, Nobody's going to draft you. If you're in double A and you aren't successful where you are, you aren't going to move up to triple A or the big leagues. So you got to put yourself in a position to have that success. And to do that, you got to be really honest with yourself. Um, everybody loves home runs. Chicks dig the long ball was a slogan that goes back to the 1990s. Okay. That's when I was growing up. That was a commercial that was on ESPN. All right. Home runs are wonderful. And I understand the math that goes into the reason that we want to have home runs hit. But the reality is, is that, you know, in the major leagues, they hit a home run once out of every 27 plate appearances. Okay. In division one baseball, it's once out of every 47 plate appearances. And that would be crazy mathematically to sit there and rely on a home run at the division one level, as much as they do at the major league level, because it mathematically doesn't happen as often. And, um, you could go on down the line. I know in the NWAC that number was something around one out of 111 plate appearances. And I got to think in high school, it's probably something around every 75 to 100 plate appearances. But point being, I see a lot of players trying to hit fly balls because they see guys like David Ortiz, Josh Donaldson, on and on and on of really, really special 1% of the 1% type talents and physical strength players in the history of this game that are able to lift the ball and have success doing it. Whereas the reality is, is that most players, even here at LSU, don't yet have the raw strength to be able to hit fly balls that accidentally leaves a ballpark or the extra base hits. And so um, I think it's important to know who you are. I think it's important that you look and you understand that putting the ball in play is still a huge priority. Put the ball in play hard. And for most people, the way you do that is being consistently on the barrel, okay? Uh, I think there's a lot of guys out there at the high school level at the college level where you can hit the ball as hard as you possibly can to center field and it becomes a 330 foot fly ball. That's a routine catch for an average center fielder. And uh, that's a slippery slope to go down as a player. I think it's so important. Hey, who am I? How can I produce results right now? Because if I produce results right now, then I can make it to the next level. And if I produce results there, I can make it to the level after that. Absolutely. Well, Jason and Kelly, do you guys have anything else for him before we wrap this up? I'm good. Awesome. Coach, this has been thoroughly enjoyable, but I got one really hard-hitting question for you before we go. 
favorite tailgate food so far at LSU? Favorite tailgate food so far at LSU? It's going to be pretty easy. Those crawfish, they're underrated. And uh, for all of you in the Northwest listening, if you've never had one, make sure you get yourself a chance to get to a crawfish boil one day, whether that's a tailgate or uh, just in somebody's backyard. Uh, they are one of a kind. That sounds awesome. Well, how? Uh, what's the best way for people to reach out and uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me uh, on my email. It's esmi228 at lsu.edu. I'd be uh, happy to, you know, respond to you. Um, Twitter is another route that works just fine as well. And uh, I'll check in both of those things pretty religiously. So uh, I'll be back in touch with you pretty shortly if you have questions. Awesome. Well, you know what? Thank you so much. This has been a a lot of fun talking hitting with you today and and let's hope that uh we can get back on a baseball field with some players here soon hey thank you all awesome to hear some uh, northwest voices some (laughs) faces and uh you all lock it down up there maybe this is the year for the mariners when everything gets going hey we might have a shot (laughs) (laughs) awesome well fans we'll be back uh, with jason and kelly to wrap this thing up all right folks heading to the bullpen Gonna bring in the closer, but I think Jason's gonna set us up. Thanks, Eric. Uh, you know, it was great having Eddie on, on here today. And you know, it's just kind of kind of looking over kind of as we kind of talked off there, talking about a little bit about you know, hitting, you know, it's about simplifying things. Um, you know, the fact that you got guys out there wanting to wait do way too much. And I, I know we wanna elevate celebrate. It's it's part of the game, you know. We ever all want to have the feel of hitting the big shot over the fence and, and the pat on the attaboys, you know, but, you know, the fact that, you know, being a teammate, uh, doing the things that uh, they're going to benefit the team um, and knowing you as an, in the, yourself as an individual, what kind of hitter, or, or we're all sitting here, all three of us could grab a bat and go out and feel we're all going to be different types of hitters, you know? And so knowing our role is important, but I love it how uh, Coach Smith, he kind of, just simplifies it. He doesn't make it more than it needs to be. Uh, he, he, uh, you know, how he dialed, you know, talked to us today about, you know, um, you know, putting a little bit of extra stress on the hitter, uh, you know, the two strikes drills, um, being in those kind of, I would, would I say stressful situations and, and knowing the right pitch to swing and, and not finding yourself being drawn into swinging pitches outside of the zone. But, uh, you know, and I think we can all learn is that, uh, you know, especially as some of the students out, got those student athletes out there listening, is that you know, simplify the fact what you're doing at the plate. Try not to do too much. Um, and I think it was just a good reminder that you know, like for us coaches, that we can instruct our guys and, and not put more than needs to be on them, but for some of the student athletes out there as well. Absolutely, you know, from and I guess I speak from a small school coaching aspect of <clears throat> my guys. Um, a majority of my guys they worry about baseball for three months out of the year let's be honest and the simple fact of he has his cores of you know when we asked him about what is it he wants his freshman incoming freshman to learn he talked about the basics well that's what you gotta you know the core values of hitting and then don't try to overthink it and don't do too much and and have aggressive approach within the within the strike zone as a hitter and i think that is just phenomenal in a world that it, at any moment I could open up my phone and see 500 drills and how to do something. But when it comes down to it, 
is you got to make contact. And I think it goes back to also the, like, the fielding concept with Boyer and what Gal was talking about is we're giving guys tools in their tool belt, but what got they got to get it done. And, and I love that aspect of, of simplifying hitting. And the other part is I am thoroughly jealous about this whole crawfish thing. I want to get down there. I want to tailgate. <laughs> I want to tailgate a baseball game because I think that sounds phenomenal. So hey, it sounds like a road trip, guys. Yeah. Like potentially if you're if you have the opportunity to get tossed there, I'd be doing it to go sit some crawfish in the parking lot. The road show. Yeah, I think right. um a lot of it a lot of it came up. Um it's similar to what our hitting coach, Joey Swanson, give him a shout out there. Hey. Hopefully he'll listen to this episode. But he talks a lot about about just three principles of of an at bat when you get back. And um, you know, did you one, were you on time? Um, did you swing at a good pitch? And the last one, did you have fun? You know, and he keeps it really at that level. And if you can't answer one of those three questions with a with a yes, then go back to think about what you're doing in your process. Um, but it's it's really, really simple like that. And and I think the one thing that we found this year, I think we were guilty of the past of of trying to have perfect swings and and be in a really good spot mechanically. Um, it bit us at one point in the start of the series had a, had a, had a rough hitting weekend and, and we got back to the drawing board and we made practice really hard that week. Um, you know, I, I don't have the same BP arm as I once did, but <laughs> popped up there and ripping sliders and fastballs. And, you know, I think from the get go, we, we thought our guys aren't going to enjoy this practice that they're going to think that they just got beat down and run down the entire time. And then we got feedback at the end of the year from, from some graduating seniors that said that that day when it was really hard was the most fun that they have had. Um, just being pushed to their limit and their brink from, from not knowing that it's going to be a 45 mile an hour BP fastball down the middle that I can try to manipulate um, when in a game, when I'm trying to execute a move or, or a score with infield in and back or, or hit and run. If, if the thought of a slider is not in my head, um, I, I might not be ready to go. So it, at least if they're pushed to a, a point where it's it's more difficult at practice, all of a sudden the game slows down um, once you get there. And we try to stay on machine and, and ramp that up with velo and sliders at different angles so guys can at least feel that that rhythm and timing and and, and just know that, that your baseline swing, you're going to go to a default swing when, when things get really hard. Um, and it really just comes down to be able to compete, to have courage, um, and, and not to not to really get down when when things don't go your way. And I really like that ten for ten mentality stuff that he talked about. Um, just trying to stay positive um, in every at bat, and really not let those negatives really drive you down. Because at the end of the day, hitting is really hard. It is the hardest thing to do in sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anyone wants to debate that, we'd love to get him on the show. <laughs> Um, but it's a, it's a hard thing and the guys that can keep it simple and, and be balanced throughout their swing, have the most success. The other thing I liked about what he talked, you know, we asked him about the, what do you use for video and how, and he, he goes, it's like, I guess an extreme band aid, but he's thought more on the, or uses it more for approach aspect of things. I thought that was great because you don't want your hitters to be running back after an at bat. Say, what did I do wrong there? Well, Mm-hmm. You you hit you missed a round ball with a round bat and a guy throwing X amount of below <laughs> it. And I, you know, I agree, like 
you know, there was times when I played that I would get to where such a struggle. I'm like, I, I just need to go look at the video, but don't get in the habit of doing that every single time. Use it to ha- become a better hitter in the box in your approach. It gets back to, you know, Eric, like you're saying, the tools in your tuba, you know, it, it is a tool that is, you, you know, you put in your tool belt to help with your success, with your job at hand. You know, it's like, you know, it, it sometimes you, you got to have, you know, you got your flathead screwdriver, you got your Phillips, you got your hex head, you know, you, you know, and that's the thing is, is that you're not always going to use a Phillips screwdriver for every screw that you see, you know, so you're going to end up, you know, needing to pull that tool out to use that. That's right. Absolutely. I think the best videos we've taken are, are what he talked about, the behind the the catcher when we're in a cage setting or, or behind the pitcher, because uh, a lot mm-hmm. of times the side angle doesn't give you that feedback of, the two things we just talked about of being on time and swinging a good pitch. So um, it can give kind of some false feedback that, yeah, you took a really good swing, but you can't see ball flight. Uh, you can't see the timing piece and you can't see where the pitch was in, in conjunction with where uh, you made contact. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter. That was awesome. That was a lot of fun. You get to sit down and talk hitting today. Check us out on uh Facebook at Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter, Twitter, Fungo Banter PNW. And, uh, you know, until next time, let's uh, stay safe, take care of one another, and let's uh, get back to baseball.